0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. We're continuing through the book of John. We're looking at John chapter 11, and we're going to be talking about somebody who has an incredible testimony. Uh, Have you ever had Something happened in your life where it was just super obvious that was God. He showed up, and it was a miracle, and it was specific. Anybody in the house have a testimony? So it could have been something financial that you prayed for. could have been a healing over your body that you were praying for or a restored relationship that you had said that is never going to be restored. Then you prayed, people prayed, God restored it, and you're like, this is my testimony. All right, so you obviously have a testimony. Now, let's just say you encounter somebody who has a similar story. Maybe it was a similar struggle. You know, maybe they're going through financial struggles, and you're like, let me tell you about a time where I was there. This is my testimony. And this is how God brought me through that season of life. Well, I want you to travel with me in time to my child and experienced a fun illustration of four men carrying a lame man to Jesus, and let's hear their testimony. So can you guess what we're talking about today? (laughs) Oh, it gives me chills every time. My name is Lazarus. He raised me from the dead. This is nothing. This is nothing. He'll be just... Fine with Jesus. Amen. All right. So we're looking at John 11. We're going to be talking about the man named Lazarus. Yeah. If you, if you want, you know, you can save that for later. It's a banger. Put it on your playlist that if you're ever wondering about how I grew up, there it is. There it is. That was my family. All right. Uh, The big idea of John chapter 11 is this, going to kind of narrow it down to these three things. First is uh, find hope in times of desperation, confusion, and grief. Second is uh, to have faith even when circumstances are beyond my understanding. And then the third is to stand firm on God's love, even when I lose that which I love the most. And so this is kind of a a through line of, of this passage and the big idea of this text is faith, it's hope, and it's love. And it's demonstrated in, this is the seventh miracle. We've been working through the signs of the gospel of John. This is the seventh. And it's significant. And we're going to discover why as we work through it. So John chapter 11, let's start in verse 1. It says this, John 11, 1, it says, now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was one of the ones who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Lazarus, his name actually means the one who God helps. The one who God helps. And this is a family that Jesus loves. Uh, Bethany is just two miles east of Jerusalem. This is a small little village, small little town that Jesus would often visit, and he would visit this family family. Martha is the one in the story who was hospitable to Jesus. And then you see in the same story, you see Mary sitting at his feet. This was a family near and dear to him. Now, what you see here is that a one that he loves is sick. You see that she didn't even recognize him as Lazarus is sick. She says, the one you love. And so just from this early part of the text, we see that Jesus loved the family. And we see that Jesus loved Lazarus. And so she says, come quickly. The one you love is sick. And in short, Jesus is not looking good. We need you. First, let's look at verses 5 through 16, and this is when Jesus hears the news. Verse 6 says, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, is that a little bit confusing? All right, set the scene. This is a family Jesus loves. This is a person Jesus loves. Jesus has received hospitality from this family, and support, and then here, in the time that they need him most, he says, we're going to stay for two more days. Wait. Now, to me, that is a bit confusing. It would feel much better that we have certainty. You have the story, Jesus drops everything that he's doing. He says, guys, he's dying. Let's go. How many of you know that Jesus is never in a rush? He is always on God's time. Not on our time. He's always on God's time. And so, what you see here is uh, we would want certainty, but there's a lot of mystery here. There's a difference between our job and God's job, there's a difference between our timing and god's timing there's even a difference between our faith and understanding and god's outcome we are not in charge of the outcome we like to think that we are and we often like to think that that's even what faith means well if i have faith then i can also produce the outcome but that's not how faith works we pray in faith and God gives the answer. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no. But if you're a parent in the house, how many of you know if your kid asks for a third donut and you say no, is that an answer? Yes, it's still an answer. The answer is just no. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a now, sometimes it's a later. And there's patience that we have to learn in the waiting of understanding and trusting God's timing. Faith is not a manipulation tool with God to keep him on our timing. Okay, well, maybe if I have a little bit more faith, it'll happen sooner or it'll happen in the right time. No, 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 no. Faith is not a manipulation tool that we manipulate God and his plan and his timing. No, it is steps in mystery of what we cannot control. I love how Pastor Furtick says it this way, faith is not a means of manipulation, it is a patience with a mystery. It's not a means of manipulations, it is a patience with a mystery. And maybe you can relate to this today. How many of you have ever prayed for something specific that you needed God to do right away and he didn't do it right away? <laughs> yeah. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, That's, maybe we've all had that moment. God, I really need you to come through this month. The rent is due. I need it today. And God says, wait. God, I need this miracle, this physical healing over my body. I need it now. And then you don't hear anything. And you're wondering if God is there. A, A principle that I see is this, is we think that faith is our circumstances changing based on his presence in our life, not the perceived absence that is there. Meaning that I'll continue to have faith so long as the circumstances keep changing and they are affecting in the way that I desire. But if I don't feel him, then maybe I doubt my faith and maybe I doubt his goodness. But that's not actually faith at all. Faith is just believing who he is and no matter the circumstances and no matter the timing, you still have faith and you still praise him and you don't doubt his goodness. Now, easier said than done, right? It's much easier to have faith when it's all, when it's like you're running downhill with the wind in your back and you pray and he does it and you pray and he does it. You're like, oh, my faith is being built today. But how you know that's not when your faith is built? Your faith is not when you're running downhill with the wind in your back. Your faith is built when you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you've sobbed and you're on your face and you're crying and you're desperate and you look ridiculous and you're frustrated and you say, despite the fact that I haven't seen it yet, God, I know who you are and I know you're good and I still trust you. That's faith. And that's what God is calling us to. If if you really loved me, God, you would have shown up here. No, 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 no. He still loves you. We often like to think you got to see it to believe it. We think that's what faith is. You got to see it to believe it. But faith is the exact opposite. You got to believe it if you want to see it. And this is what we're going to be looking at here in this passage. Then verse seven. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Verse eight. Rabbi, the disciples told him just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're wanting to go there again again aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, but because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. This is uh, um, talking about kind of the work day, but it's also talking about the guidance that Jesus is the light. Go, go with me. We won't stumble. It'll be just fine. Walk in the night away from me. You will stumble and it will not go well with you. And walking without Jesus, 100% of the time, we stumble and we fall. Verse 11, he says, he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. I love how literal the disciples are about to be right here. Then a disciple said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Why are you, you know, what are you talking about? Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to so that we might die with him. Now, I don't know how familiar you are uh, with Thomas, but Thomas is the one that after the resurrection was demanding and saying, "I, I have to see it. To believe it, show me the holes in his hands, his pierced side, then maybe I might believe. And so I think Thomas, there's really no other person in the Bible that we give like an adjective to, right? Like, right in front of like doubting Thomas. I I I hate it for the guy, you know? I mean, he's a faithful disciple, and here he is for the rest of his life. His, His legacy is doubting Thomas. But let's look at the whole picture, okay? Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, hey, is there something so wrong with needing a little bit of evidence here? You know, you know he, maybe, maybe he's not doubting Thomas. Maybe he's devoted Thomas. And this is what we see in this passage as well. Uh, I want to uh, relabel him. This is devoted Thomas. He is courageous Thomas. I mean, he's the one that says, okay, God, they just tried to stone you and you want to go back and everybody else is being quiet All right, guys, let's go. Let's go die with him. I mean, that is a guy who is devoted to Jesus. I think we all need a uh, courageous Thomas in our life. Anybody got a friend like this? Somebody that'll roll with you? Uh, There's a uh, a movie in this quote. It says, I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later and we're gonna hurt some people. The guy responds and he says, whose car are we going to take? This is Thomas. This is Thomas. He's like, I I don't even need to know what we're going to do. I'm rolling with you till death. I'm on the journey with you. I also love his devotion here because I believe that is the calling, his devotion towards following Jesus despite uh, the consequences of that act of obedience, I believe is the same call that God has for us today. But what does this mean for our family? Well, if God called you to do it, I'm in. What does this mean for my career? If God calls you to do it, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. But that's that's a country where I could lose my life. Well, if God is calling you to do it and he's going with you, well then, just like devoted Thomas, our response should be, let's go die with him. Let's go. I'm, I'm going, I'm following Jesus. I love, I can... In Thomas's mind, as a disciple of Jesus, it feels very much like he has said, I have counted the cost and I'm all in. And I think too often, even even as a disciple of Jesus, we haven't counted the cost to say, oh, he really means it when he says everything, like he gets all of my life. And so when a call comes, it's like, well, I'm going to have to think about it, God, because that's a big ask. But if you've counted the cost of faith, then when Jesus says, "I'm going this here," there's nothing left to consider. All you say is, "Let's go. I'm in. Let's walk. Where you go, I go. Where you lead, I follow." This is just this is my life as a follower of Jesus. I've counted the cost, and I'm all in. Verse 17 is Jesus uh, joining the funeral says this, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now in Jewish tradition, they believe that a person's soul could hover over the body for up to three days, trying to enter back in. And then they believe that on the fourth day, as the body would begin to decompose at the body, that the spirit would then leave the body. This is a, a superstitious uh, tradition in the Jewish culture in the first century, and so this—the fact that he he waited, as you saw when he even told the disciples, "I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that you might believe." The fact that he waited to the fourth day is significant because what he's doing is he's putting uh, extra authority to the miracle, and he's putting greater opportunity for the people to believe that. They, they, they couldn't possibly say that in this miracle, well, maybe it was Jesus, or maybe it was just the superstitious belief that his spirit re-entered his body again. Jesus was saving the best for last. Here we have the seventh miracle, and Jesus saying, saying, no, 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 I'm going to make this completely obvious. He was dead. He's decomposing in the grave. And I'm gonna show up, and this is gonna be an undeniable miracle that everybody's gonna be able to see on public display that I am the Son of God. What do we say the whole theme of the book of John is about? So that you might believe. And this is what Jesus is doing here in verse 17 through 27. Warren Wearsby says The fact that the man had been dead four days gave greater authenticity to the miracle and greater opportunity for people to believe, including his own disciples. So the question I have is, I'm wondering if God is past the point of your expectation so his strength can be revealed in your life. Waiting till after your time period has expired so that he can receive all the glory. It's kind of what I was talking about even earlier whenever we pray in faith and we believe like, it's going to happen in this time. And you're working and you're striving and you're believing and you have it set in your mind. Like I've prayed, I've faith. It's going to happen in this time. And then God says, wait. So often in our lives, I believe that God is w- waiting till our time has expired that we could even take a little bit of credit for a miracle. We're going to say, well, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. Sometimes he just wants us to be able to get us to the point that when he does it, it's so undeniable. All we can say is, Man, I tried to do it on my own. I tried to do it this way. It, it didn't work and over and over and over again. I finally came to the point where I said, if it's going to happen, it's going to be God. And he did it. I mean, I have countless of those stories in my life. I, had, I call them God did it stories. And even I was even at a, a retreat a while ago talking to people. About some of the miracles. And I was recounting some of the things because they were practically wondering, well, what did you do here? What did you do here? And I was recounting kind of the the story, story storyline. And I just kind of felt like this nudge in my spirit that God was just like, there's a little too much you in that story. And it was just like this like tap on the shoulder where I was just like, I, I finished the conversation and everybody dispersed. And I kept feeling that tap on the shoulder, still a little too much you in that story. And so one by one, I had to go find everybody that was in that circle. And I had to just pull them aside and say, hey, look, here's the deal. I think there was too much me there. That was, that was all a miracle of God. And I'm kind of afraid to take credit for it because I didn't really do anything. I'm not that good. And so I just wanted to make sure you understand that was all God. And let's be clear about that. And I, then as soon as I got, I told everybody, my conscience was clear. I was like, all right. Oh, God, I I don't want to touch your glory for an undeniable miracle that I know is you. If we're seeing in the Spirit, if we're living in the Spirit, if we're living dead lives, then the reality is that all of the good things in our life is God. And so, really, anything that's good in our lives that we even attempt to take credit for or to make ourselves look like we're just that good. Is really robbing glory from God. I would much rather reflect His glory at all times than to try to wear glory. We were not made to wear glory. We were only made to give God glory, to reflect His glory. All right, verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. I think this is subtle, but significant. You see one of the sisters run to meet him. The other stay seated. One runs to the gate and the other stays seated in, in grief and inner pain. One, one point of just practical application that I see is that we all respond to significant grief differently. And, and, and that's very practically, I think, what we see here. We see, we see one running to God, running to Jesus, and you're here, like, 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 thank you for coming, we need you. And then the other is just kind of just, just there alone. And and we all respond differently, but it's amazing how Jesus meets us in all of our levels and stages and responses of grief. One runs to the church, the other stays at home. One runs to friends, one crawls in a corner and weeps. Grief can also in one way propel us in our faith and in another way it can paralyze us in fear. So how do you respond in disappointment? Martha, then Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. And I love Martha. I love the honesty of Martha. I think as we pray, we think that we have to pray in a a very specific way, um, very positive way at all times. But I love that Martha is very honest here. Had you been here, it would not have turned out this way. But because you weren't here, look where we're at. Has anybody ever prayed an honest prayer to God? Had you been here when I needed you the most, I wouldn't be stuck in this situation. But where were you? This is the prayer of Martha. Does Jesus get angry over this prayer? No, I think this is an honest prayer. I think God loves hearing honest prayers. I think God loves hearing where you're really at, who you really are. I think God loves you being vulnerable in front of him. God, I'm upset, frustrated. I'm confused. Where were you when I needed you most? But even in her grief, how does she start it off? Lord. She may have been questioning his decisions, but she did not question his divinity. She may have been questioning his decision-making. Like, "Why, why weren't you here? But she didn't question his divinity. She started off Lord. And I think that's what's key. God, I'm not doubting that you are God. But I am confused about why you allowed this to happen. I just think that's just real. I just think that's honest. So here we see with Martha, both frustration and faith. Had only you been here. And this is uh, how Jesus responds to that honest declaration. Your brother will rise again. Jesus told her in verse 23, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Powerful statement very powerful. This is the fifth I am statement of the gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Not that he will be resurrected one day. No, I am. He's he's calling out a, a shift in doctrine. Not that you will physically rise again, but he's actually calling himself the personhood of God. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I do believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who comes into the world. She lost her brother. Just four days earlier, she's in a moment of intense grief, yet her faith is so strong. Yes, God, I do believe. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. Yes, Lord. Here's again, there it is again the second time. Yes, Lord. Yes, Master. I do believe that you're the son of God. Then we see in verse 28, this is Jesus sharing in the sorrows. Having said this, she sent back and called her sister Mary saying, uh, Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were there in the house, uh, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I, I love their, I love their faith in 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 Jesus, even in a sense of saying like, I believe that you're so powerful, you would have, you could have just easily healed him right there. They understood a portion of his power, but they didn't really fully grasp the magnitude of his power, which is many of us. Woo, woo, woo. We think that he's like, even the story, the the song that was singing, like, yeah, he healed my hands, but this man's more serious. We think that sometimes. He's done this for me, but but that, that's kind of a big one. I don't know that he can do that for you. They understood a portion of it, but they didn't understand really the magnitude of it. Otherwise they would have just said, hey, thanks for being here. Let's go to the tomb. Let's get this over with. But now they said, had you been here? he wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And 35, Jesus wept. Before Jesus exercised his authority, he, in this passage, is demonstrating his empathy and his love and his sorrow for the people. You see, Jesus was fully man. And Jesus was fully God. And here is a beautiful picture of how God is stepping into the full experience of humanity. And he is sitting with these people that he loves. He's seeing their pain and he weeps with them. Isn't that powerful? Have you ever envisioned in the time of like just significant grief in your life and you're just weeping and you're crying out to God? Have you ever thought that it's possible that maybe there's a tear with Jesus with you, experiencing that grief with you, saying, I know this is hard. I know this is hard. This is what he does here. And I think it's incredibly profound. He comes in close. He's acquainted with your grief. He's acquainted with your sorrows. He has lost loved ones, as is in this passage. Now he could have performed the miracle outside of Bethany. He could have heard that Lazarus was sick. And right then and there said, no longer sick, boom, done. Lazarus just sitting in his chair and he's like, whoa, I think I'm fully healed. That could have been the case. Jesus can do anything. That could have been easy for Jesus. The power of his word that could have been healed. But Jesus chooses to stay back two extra days, shows up on the fourth day to demonstrate his authority, which he does, to bring about an opportunity for greater faith, and then thirdly, to empathize and to show us in this text that he is a God of emotion and that he cares and that he is grieving with us. He does that here. So some of the Jews said, "How, see how he loved him, but some of them said, couldn't he have opened the blind man's eyes and kept this man from dying? Sure, Yes. Martha was looking ahead saying, God, I know that he will be raised in the last days, but Jesus was trying to bring about uh, the doctrine that I am the resurrection. That's why in Romans 6, 4, it says, therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so we too may walk in newness of life. There was a physical reality but this is Jesus bringing about the spiritual reality of death to life. And in the most clearest way he can say it, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, meaning that you are dead. But when I step into your life, that which is dead comes to life. I resurrect dead things. And then verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone. Now Jesus' seventh miracle, significant miracle. Does a remove the stone sound a little familiar? The stone was rolled away. This is also a beautiful image of what would be to come when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in a tomb and would be uh, raised from the dead and the stone would be rolled away. 39 says, remove the stone. Jesus said, Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Here yet again, she understood a portion of what he was capable of, but not the whole. And here he is again saying, No, 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 I'm here at the tomb, roll the stone away. And here she is questioning him again, saying, But God, It's smelly in there, still not realizing yet the full magnitude of what is possible. Here's a thought. Let's just say you are experiencing a challenge in your life. Could be anything, but you're in need of a miracle. God shows up in that miracle in your life. Clearly, miraculously, it was God. Now, let's just say, fast forward. Uh, A couple years, you're going through the same thing and you're praying. How much more faith are you going to have in hindsight to say, God brought me through that exact thing once before, and I believe he can do it again. Well, here's the deal. It's so, we can give Martha a hard time for not having faith that Jesus could raise her brother from the dead. But the reality is she had yet to experience that in her life yet but we as followers of Jesus see clearly in the teachings of God's word here that Jesus raised a dead man to life. How much more having the word of God, having seen clearly all of the signs and the miracles of God, in addition to our own experience, how much more should we have faith that God can do anything? That there's nothing that he can't do. We have the proof. He's capable of anything. Martha, do you believe? Martha, do you believe? So the, they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me, heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd was standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice. This is before, before I get here. He performed the miracle so others might believe. In scripture, miracles most often are attached to mission. So you're saying, I, I, I want this miracle. I want this miracle. Are, are you willing to leverage that miracle for the mission of God? Over and over, read through the miracles. Miracles are attached to mission. Man, I don't know why they see so many miracles overseas and like some of the most hard to reach places, just, it feels like you're walking down the street. People that can't walk, start walking, blind eyes, start seeing, dead people start being raised from the dead. Why does that happen over there and not here? Maybe because we want the miracle for ourselves, not for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. But what if we took on a posture to say, God, when you do it, if it's in your will, father, you will receive all of the glory and I'll tell everybody about it then you're engaging the miracle with the mission. Read through the miracles. He shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound, hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. It's time for resurrection. Can you imagine Lazarus dead, his testimony, a story? Can you imagine the sisters? What's your story? Well, I had a brother who died and Jesus showed up and resurrected him from the dead. What a testimony. What a story. Come forth. Jesus wants to bring dead things to life for you, that which is dead, that which is cold, that which is left in isolation, that which you thought would never happen in your life. Like, God, maybe this is just my lot in life, and this is not my future, my reality. God wants to say, no, I want to resurrect that thing. I've called you to something bigger. I've called you to something greater. Martha, do you believe? Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So I want to ask you, do you believe? Do you believe that he can do it? Whatever it is in your life, believe it. Lazarus, come forth. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.